Which side is right? Is everybody a racist? Is, is racism only for those who burn crosses on lawns? If you didn't know this, uh, I'm mixed ethnically. Some people are like, when I, when I, whenever I tell them, they're like, oh, now I see it. You know, sometimes they just think, a lot of times they think I'm Hispanic. A lot of times people think I'm Hawaiian. Um, some people are like, I don't know what you are, you know. And I'm, I'm half Caucasian on my mother's side. There's a lot of the British Isles and the European and, you know, all the Swedish and all the, you know, the Viking kind of stuff. And I did an Ancestry.com and it came back, no surprise to me, that the other side of me is Asian. You know, my dad is full Korean. And so, you know, some people are like, okay, I see it. You look mixed. And I've always prided myself on not being one ethnicity. Growing up, even though I get teased every once in a while, like, what are you? Who are you? Like, you know, and then they find Asian and make little Asian slurs or whatever. And I had to deal with that as a kid sometimes. But for the most part growing up, I always had this pride going, I'm not, you know, homogeneous. I'm not like just homogenized milk. I'm not just one. I love the fact that I have these things because I can kind of Relate to everybody else. And if you know anything about mutts, mutts, as far as dogs, are the better breed, okay? They have better genes. I'm just trying to tell you some truth here this morning. The dogs that are purebred are always the ones that have health issues and all this stuff. They find that when a dog interbreeds with other dogs, their gene pool gets stronger. So you're welcome, all right? And I always, always kind of find this pride in my heart. And I always, would always think to myself, I'm not racist. There's not a racist bone in my body. Because how could there be? I even love the fact that I could probably joke more than anybody else and make, you know, little racial jokes a little bit because, hey, I can't be racist against myself. But as I've understood the gospel, and as I've understood more that sin is inherent, and I've examined my heart, I'd have to say there's racism in my heart at times. No, I'm not going to join some clan rally. You'll never see me doing anything like that. I'm not going to make some statement. I've never called a black person the N-word. I've never said anything like that. But I know that deep down inside my heart, I discriminate against people. I've, I've seen spe- specific groups, communities, and I go, oh, well, that's because they're like this. You know, black people are like this, and Asians are like this, and white people like to do this, and Hispanics do this, and these kind of people do this. And what I do is I hold a standard up of my own self being perfection, of my own self being the acceptable form to be represented in my own mind, and what I do is I, I, I hold it up kind of like a, 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 a lens, and I go, well, they're not doing that because this is the way I do it, so I discriminate against people. You know what that is? That's racism. And some of you here this morning would say, I'm not racist. I don't, I don't think those things, or I don't do these things. I'm not racist, but I, I just don't really get the black culture. So I I kind of decide to like 
not even invest in that. Not like, I wouldn't be good friends with those kind of people. They wouldn't be good friends with me. I'm not racist, but I just prefer not to engage in that stuff. I'm not racist, but, you know, I've learned that you just don't do business with Asian people. I, I'm not racist, but, you know, I've been burned by, by white people too many times. And so I don't, it's not that I don't like white people. I just have learned it's wise. It's wisdom. Don't do business with these kind of people. Don't, or you're going to get burned. And see what that is, that's actually racism in our hearts. It's discrimination. You guys doing okay? This is what James tells us about this very specific thing. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. It says, my brothers, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the church. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, hey, hey, you sit here in a, in a good place. This is the prime seat, right? Reserved. And while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Kelly, he's not talking about skin color here. Really? He's talking about the exact same thing. Discrimination. Verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the riches the ones who approach Oppose, oppose you, oppress you, and the ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Look at verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. I'm not a racist. I don't do racist things. I just have a little bit of a corner of my heart that prefers certain people over others. James tells us that we're showing discrimination, which is what racism is. If you're feeling a little bit of resistance to what I'm saying right now, that's, that's okay. You know what that is? That's the means of God's grace letting you know that there's something in your heart that needs to be changed. If you're saying, I feel a little offended, Kelly, that you're saying because I prefer one, this or that, that I might have racism in my heart, that is God's means of grace to you this morning. That is the Holy Spirit setting off warning bells. Don't resist it. Say, Lord, will you help me in these areas? Now, when we talk about these differences between us, and we talk about showing partiality, what we tend to do as Christians, and I've been guilty of this, and I think the church in meaning well, and our culture meaning well, has done this, you, you know, like, I don't see color, right? I don't see color. And I think what that does is it pushes us the opposite way of what we're supposed to do. 
We need to see color. We need to see that there's ethnicities. We need to celebrate those things, though. It's not that we go, like, I didn't notice that that person was Asian or he was black or he was Latino. I didn't even notice, you know? It's like, of course you noticed. You have eyes, right? You saw. We don't need to walk around and pretend as if something is as if to... To notice that someone is a different ethnicity or is that that is sinful. It's not sinful. God created every single color. You know, I'm not talking about political agenda here or lifestyle, but the rainbow is different colors. Why? When you see the rainbow, you're like, that is the main, that's amazing. Could you imagine a rainbow just being one red streak in the sky? We'd be afraid every time a red streak came. But because it's every color, it's what? It's beautiful. If we want to pretend that we're all the same color, we might as well all just eat bologna sandwiches for the rest of our lives. I love that with different, different ethnicities, there's different kinds of foods. I love Thai food. All the smells of the curries. I love Mexican food. When, when the tacos and the salsa and the, the... And don't put cheese on your taco, by the way. That ruins it, okay? Just all it needs is carne asada some pico, like hot spicy salsa, and cilantro and onions on a corn tortilla, not flour, okay? That's right. Why do we like these things? It's good to celebrate our differences. But what we shouldn't be doing, because you're different than me, I'm going to hold a standard against you. We need to celebrate them. So not only is... Racism, sin, but there is racism still in the world. Why? Because sin still exists. You know what? We'll never get rid of racism. We will, we will not until, until Jesus comes back and we're all in glory. Racism will still exist on this planet. Why? Because sin still exists. Every single problem we have will still exist. So what, Kelly, what are you trying to tell me? Are we all just doomed? Is this just like, we might as well just all give up? I think sometimes we believe that as Christians. I was, I was talking with Marianne. We went on a, a, a hike this week. And we were just like wrestling through this stuff, conversing. And then we both came to a, agreement and realization. I don't think Southland's Chino would say, hey, we're, we wrestle with discrimination as one of our main things that we need to overcome. I think wrestle with indifference. This doesn't really affect me that much. It affects maybe my friends, but my friends will have to deal with it. It affects people I, I know, but aren't that close with, so I really don't care that much. And if we were to leave right now and say, okay, Kelly, you've said that racism is sin and also that racism exists, and then we just leave and we have this information, we would leave this, this place so sad. And what we do is only further our indifference because that would really be our only hope is to kind of turn a blind eye to it, hope that it doesn't come to my doorstep, hope that the riots don't come to that shopping center that I really like, that can be for those people or that community. 
they can experience it, but I hope that doesn't happen for me. The beautiful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it answers this problem. Yes, sin will exist until Jesus comes back, and that will be in a form of racism many times. But friends, the gospel of Jesus is our only answer, and it is a sure hope in times where we want to either be indifferent or be afraid or be angry or be frustrated or all of the things that we're feeling right now. The gospel of Jesus is our only hope. Do we believe that? I want to say some, some hard things to say. Social activism will never be our hope, ultimately. No matter how many, and I, I, listen, I am not saying we should not protest. I'm not saying that we shouldn't raise our voice. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be heard. All of these things. I think in what, how God birthed this country, it was a godly thing. I think that's part of God saying, because you, you remember in, in, in uh, Egypt, God says, hear the cry of my people. I think meant to cry out and say, God, heal us. God, save us. This is wrong. We're seeing injustice happen. But merely posting on your Facebook, putting a sign on Instagram, tweeting a zinger, standing out, all of these things, great things. But that won't be our hope. Because these things have happened for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years and will continue to. And the problem is racism will still exist. And the only hope for racism is the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, we as a culture, what we want to do is we want to we cure the symptoms, right? I mean, if, if you ever go to the doctor, you go to the doctor because why? You have symptoms, may not even be aware that you have a disease. And we as a culture, what we want to do is address the symptoms instead of the disease. We want to say, get rid of the rioting. Get rid of the looting. Get rid of uh, people being treated unjustly by police officers or police officers being being treated unjustly by crowds. We, We want to get rid of all these things, but we don't want to address the actual root of the problem, which is sin. And friends, the only answer for sin is the gospel of Jesus Christ always will only ever be. One of the things that has saddened me the most as far as the way the church has reacted is that I've been watching closely. I look to other churches, other church leaders, and see what they're saying because I'm not smart enough to try to think through all these things on my own. How how is this pastor saying this? How is this pastor doing this? What is this church doing practically to help in all these areas. And you know what the, one of the loudest things I've heard during this time is? Hey, we need to stand up. We need to protest. Yeah. All good things. You know what saddened me the most? Most of the church leaders aren't saying Jesus is the only answer. Some of your Facebook posts, some of your Instagrams, I mean, your social media is very telling of where you put your hope. And I've watched intently this week 
of people in this church in what you're posting. And I'm, again, I'm not saying don't post about these things, but why is there not Jesus is the only answer? Is it just not cool enough? Is it not hot topic enough? Is it too easy of an answer? Surely the world won't understand or accept that, so I need to post something that sounds really good that'll make people think twice about their position, and I'm going to trick them into understanding some truth I want to... No, 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 no. Jesus is the only answer. He's our only hope. Friends, that is our rally cry as the people of God. That needs to be what we stand out. And if we protest and say, yes, black lives matter, they do, they matter to Jesus. All lives matter to Jesus. Every single person matters to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the only answer. Either you don't believe there's really a problem or you don't believe Jesus is really the only answer. Sorry, guys, you guys doing okay? Not only is the gospel of Jesus our only answer, the gospel of Jesus is what gives us value. So I said this last week, and for fear of repeating myself, that's okay, I'm going to repeat myself. But we talk about the gospel as being the answer to every single problem that we have as believers. Either we don't understand the gospel, like we kind of skewed it. And so what we think is like the gospel is just my initiation into Christianity and it saves me from my sin. But then what God does is he kind of like says, okay, I saved you. Now go figure out the rest by yourself. And I see that as a giant problem in our culture as a church, or we don't necessarily apply the truths of the gospel to our lives, right? So we either don't understand it or we don't apply it. We don't understand that the gospel affects every single area of our lives, every single day, that I have to keep coming back to the truth that I have sin in my heart, and Jesus is the only answer for that sin, but yet Jesus helps me through the power of the Holy Spirit walk out my Christianity and continue to do that until the day that I go to be in glory in heaven. And that that process continues and continues. And see, the problem is that if I either don't understand that or I don't apply that to my life... I lose the essence of who I am as a human being. And so when we say things like the gospel is the only answer that is true, how does that work out in the gospel? Well, the gospel, again, I'm going to say it again, tells us that our value comes from God, not from each other, not from merit. And let me get more specific right now. I've seen news media, I've heard reports of police in Minneapolis department try to justify the treatment of George Floyd by saying he was a thug. And you'll see this happen every single time whenever there's an incident like this. What what the media does, and, and particularly I'm not trying to take sides. I'm just speaking to the conservative media. What it does is say, yes, that was bad, but the reason the police officer treated him so bad is because he had a rap sheet.
The reason why it seems it's bad, but it's a little bit justified is because George Floyd actually was a thug. He might have been a thug. I don't know. I don't know George Floyd. Guess what? That man's value is not based on whether he was an outstanding citizen or not. That man's value comes from the fact that God created George Floyd in his image. You know what I've seen in the church? I've seen even in some of your posts that this is a tragedy because George Floyd was such a good person. That he was an outstanding citizen, that he was a a pillar in his community, that he was a Christian, that he was working with teenagers and trying to get them off the street. He was doing all these things. That's why this is a tragedy. I would say to you as well, you don't understand the gospel of Jesus. The reason why this man's death is a tragedy is because he was created in the image of God. And when we put merit on someone, whether this is more tragic or less tragic because he was a thug or he was a saint, we are not understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't we wrestle with this every day of our lives? Don't we even in ourselves wrestle with this? I feel so much better when I feel like a saint. I feel like I have way more value when I'm doing good things. And when I'm doing bad things, I feel more like if God were to kill me now, it'd be justified. It's because I, even in myself, don't understand the beauty that God created me in the image of God. We do this with our relationships Not even just racism, but we show discrimination, as James said here. We do it with our husbands and with our wives. We do it with our brothers and our sisters, not only physically in our homes, but with each other in the church. What we do is we say, because you did this to me, your value now is diminished. It's less of a tragedy if you were to die. It'd be less of a tragedy if something bad were to happen to you because you're a bad person. That's the way of the world. The way of the gospel says the inherent value that I have as a human can never be taken from me because it was given by God. And that value, God poured his value into humanity. Let us create man in our own image. Not only... Does the gospel tell us it's our only hope? The gospel is what gives us value, but the gospel informs our identity. This is a really hard one. (laughs) The temptation, friends, is to put our our identity in external things. We either say, First and foremost, I'm a man, I'm a woman. We, we, our identity is in our gender. Our identity is in our occupation. What, you know, when you meet somebody for the first time, what is, like, usually what's the first thing you say? What do you do? <laughs> there was this funny movie with Adam Sandler and Jack Nicholson called Anger Management a long time ago. Probably, I don't know how old that movie is, 15 years old. And Jack Nicholson, uh, uh, Adam Sandler has to go to anger management because he's blown up at somebody. I can't remember his jobs are making him do something. And Jack Nicholson is the anger management therapist and he sits everybody down and Adam Sandler's sitting there and Jack Nicholson says, 
all right, now, everybody, I want, me to, I want you to tell me who you are. And so he gets to Adam Sandler, and Adam Sandler starts telling him, and he says, well, I'm an accountant, but no, 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 let me stop you right there. I don't want to know what you do. I want to know who you are. Well, uh, you know, I have four kids and blah, blah, blah. No, 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 let me stop you. And it just keeps going on and on and on until Adam Sandler finally figures out that Jack Nicholson is trying to talk about the essence of who he is as a human being. And we often do this. What we do is we, we define ourselves by what we do or the external things, what our skin color looks like, the community that we've grown up, and we place our identity in that. That is one of the major problems of why the world has lost its mind right now. Because its identity is on the externals. Its identity is the way that people see me is the way I need to act and react. The way that people have talked about me, the things that I do, the community, the family I grow up in, that is my primary identity. And while I would say, friends, in God's providence, God places every man and woman in the time and place where they are to be, as Acts tells us this. And yes, that's a part of who we are, but first and foremost, our identity as Christians needs to be in Christ alone. See, when, when me, when I, when, when us, when we, when any of us here this morning t- put our identity in anything other than Jesus, it can be easily threatened to be taken away from us. If someone calls me a racial slur, that affects my identity and it hurts me to the core, which it should but it hurts me more and it causes me to react more than it should when my identity is placed in my ethnicity first. I heard a popular preacher this week, a guy named Michael Todd, on, on social media talking about this and I thought it was so helpful. He says, we get the adjectives and the nouns mixed up. What we often do is say, I'm a black Christian. I'm a white Christian. I'm a Latino or I'm an Asian Christian. Or I'm an American Christian. And he says, what we have to do is swap those around the other way. Because as Christians, what we need to first say is, I'm a Christian who happens to be black, white, Latino, Asian, Moroccan, Indian, Mongolian, Thai, whatever. Remember the woman at the well when Jesus had an encounter in the Gospel of John? And it's really where Jesus kind of starts his first missional kind of ministry. He's taking his disciples, and he's, they're like, where are we going, Jesus? And he's like, we're going into Samaria. Samaria? Are you out of your mind? Those are the guys that we don't like, and they don't like us. Why are we going to Samaria? And Jesus says, that's where my father's telling me to go. So the disciples are like, all right, Jesus, whatever. On the way to Samaria, Jesus encounters a woman at a well, which happens to be the well that Jacob dug, which happens to be the people that the Samaritans come from, and they worship God a little bit differently than the Jews do. They understand that God is God, but they worship differently. And so Jesus has this encounter with a woman the well, who's there during the middle of the day. It's hot, and Jesus knows that she's going to be there, and she comes up, and Jesus says, why are you drawing well from the water in the middle of the day? 
She says, because the other women judge me, my identity's been robbed. My identity has actually been taken from dignity, and now people view me as an adulteress and a harlot, and so I'm shameful. And I come out here, and the only time that I know people won't judge me, I come out here, and Jesus says, guess what? I have a new identity for you. See, you're coming and getting this water that you're, because you're thirsty, but I have water to drink of that if you drink of this, you will never thirst again. Your identity will never be threatened again. The shame that you feel when people accuse you or oppress you or push down on you and cause injustice in your life, you will never have to suffer that again. You will never be subject to the way the world sees you if you find your identity in me first. And I know, friends, that this is a jagged pill to swallow. How could this be true, God? You created me to look and feel and act like this. This feels like all of who I am. And Jesus says, if you want to find your life, lose it. If you want a rock-solid identity, surrender the one you have, and I'll exchange it for this one. A hope that can never be taken away. A hope that is eternal. And if you're listening on Facebook Live, if you're here this morning and you identify as a specific color first over your identity in Christ, I want to say, friends, you are in grave danger of living a life that will be for a cause that is subservient to a life for a cause that is the highest. Should we rally? Should we oppose injustice? Absolutely. But it's in the name of Jesus. Our identities in Christ. Jesus is our only hope. Let's not get the two mixed up. It's not even skin color. It could be I'm heavier set or I'm thin. It could be I'm more well-to-do. I have a better bank account or I have a less of a good bank account. I drive this car. I had this job. I find my identity in all of these things. What happens when those get taken from us? We freak the heck out. But when we put our identity in Christ first, no car accident can take that away from me. I drive this really great car, car accident, it's gone. I get really frustrated, man, insurance, now I get less of the car. No, see, I put my identity in Christ. Doesn't matter what people say. Doesn't matter what people do. It doesn't matter what circumstance happens. I will be eternally identified as in Christ forever. I don't know what I was going to say. I didn't even look at any of these notes. You know, one of the cool things is the church in Antioch, when it got started, historians and commentators would say there was probably about 19 ethnicities represented in that church. Isn't that cool? Yet, they were known as what? Christians. It's the first time 
that that word is used, little Christs. They could have been known as the church with 19 ethnicities. Oh, those are the 19ers. The 19ers do this, the 19ers do that. No, what these 19ers did is they laid aside their 19 and they all rallied in one and said, Jesus. Isn't that cool? This is the very essence of the gospel. Now, I just want to briefly hear, we're ending, and I, kids, you guys are doing so well. You guys are doing awesome. Good job, kiddos. A couple questions that come out of this or rebuttals would be, but you don't know how hurt I've been. You don't know the pain that I have felt or my friends have felt that I am experiencing. And I want to say, you know what? You're absolutely right. I don't know. I'll never know. And even someone who looks like you, talks like you, dresses like you, seems like they're the same age, to be honest, they will ever, not ever really know either. Guess what? There is somebody who really knows. His name is Jesus. I, just, I thought about how Jesus experienced every single same thing that we experience in life. You know how people would say, hey, where's this guy from? Oh, his name's Jesus. He's from Nazareth. You know what they would say? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Hey, where, John, where do you live? I live in Chino. Chino? Can anything good come out of Chino? Where do you live? Ontario? Ontario? Where all the cows are? Well, I, I live in Chino Hills. You mean where all the Asians live? Oh, I live in Upland. Where, you mean where all the white people live? And the well I, I don't know. Whatever it is. Uh, imagine how Jesus must have felt when he... And I know it's recorded once in Scripture. It couldn't have been the only time that he, he was told something like that. Imagine his brothers and sisters. Yes, he physically had brothers and sisters. Mary was not a virgin when she died. <gasps> okay, that, there. Imagine his brothers and sisters. You're, the, you're who? The son of God? Okay. Jesus felt the same discrimination that you and I feel. And so when you say, oh, that's easy for the church to say that the gospel is the answer, Jesus is the only answer. That's so easy for you to say. It's not easy. See, Jesus went through every single hardship for us to be able to declare that with absolute truth. If he didn't, we would be speaking a lie this morning. If he didn't, friends, there's got to be some other answer. Is there any other answer? I mean, what's the point? What are we even doing what are we even doing if we're not saying Jesus is the only answer? Why are we even Christians if something else is greater than Jesus? If there's something else greater than Jesus, we don't need Jesus. You don't know, Kelly. You're right, I don't. Jesus does. just want to give us one ending scripture here. Turn to the book of Luke. I'm going to read a very well-known proverb. 
story, I guess, that Jesus told his disciples and some religious guys. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Kids, you guys know this parable probably. It says this in verse 25. We're going to read all the way to the end, uh, 37. It says, Behold, Jesus is talking to some guys here. He says, A lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to them, What is written in the law, and how do you read it? And he answered Jesus. He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Verse 29, but he desiring to justify himself. Remember that? Well, but what if? What if like, yeah, I get what you're saying, but what if they're like bad or like, and that just doesn't gel with me. But justifying says, who is my neighbor? Verse 30, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him, departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. He was indifferent. Verse 32, so likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him passed by the other side, but the Samaritan, the person who we Jews don't like and the Jew, they don't like us, who we view as unworthy scum, as he journeyed, came to where this man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The guy answers, he says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Friends, that's our call. Jesus did that for us. Jesus did that for you and me. We sit in a very privileged place here this morning. Maybe because of our skin color. Maybe because of our socioeconomic status. Maybe because of our upbringing. I don't know, whatever it is. But you know where our, most of our privilege comes from? Is the fact that Jesus saved us out of the miry clay of sin. That's true privilege. And if the culture is saying, use your privilege. Use your privilege. We need to use our privilege. We need to use the fact that we've been privileged enough. Something we didn't earn on our own merit that God saved us and now we in turn give that privilege that we did not earn to others. And we tell them, listen, I didn't earn this. I didn't make this happen. Jesus saved me and I want to show you a way that where you're, you're afraid of your identity being taken, you're afraid of all the, these things that could be taken from your physical things. What if these riots happen? What if the world gets worse and worse and worse? It's like tomorrow, what else is going to happen? 
When we're afraid that the world has just lost its mind, is going to hell in a handbasket, as we say, we understand that this privilege that was given to me, I can give you this privilege so that you don't have to fear anymore. You don't have to strive for your identity. You don't have to feel like things can be taken from you and you have to puff your chest out anymore and say how strong you are. What you could do is it's okay to be weak, but put your strength in the Jesus who rescued all of us from our sin and who offers the same salvation to you to give you a hope that cannot be taken away. Amen. And I, I've gone way too long. <sighs> Practicals. We need to repent. We need to pray. Don't tell me that you're, you're, you're passionate about social justice and then you don't come out to pray. Or, or pray by your own, on your own. Don't tell me that. I'm really passionate. Show it. Pray. Empathy. If your heart hasn't broken somehow this week, man, you have a hard heart. If you're not feeling the pain of this world being in chaos and have no answer, your heart is hard. We should think the best of others. Yeah, but you're saying black lives matters. That means that you're, you're this certain way and you think all of these things and you're, you're militant and you're mad and you're angry and all these things. You know what black lives matters means? It means that black lives matter. Black lives matter. Well, you're saying all lives matter because now you're not looking at black lives. Why do we say all lives matter? Because all lives matter. Well, you're thinking this when you say that. How do you know what I'm thinking when I say that? Because these people that you're standing with are saying that. I have no idea what this person's thinking when they're saying that. All I know is lives matter. Black lives matter. White lives matter. All lives matter. Yes, and I know that is a politically dividing thing to say right now. Guess what? Jesus thinks the same thing. And what we don't need to do is interpret what people are saying. When All we need to say is, I see you're hurting. I'm hurting too. Let's think the best of one another. And then the last thing is, man, sit down with somebody that you don't normally sit down with. Maybe it's a person of color. I sat down with three of my black friends this week. And I was just like, I don't know, because I'm not black. Please, how are, what's, how are you feeling? What's going on? And I don't want you to tell me all the Christian answers or all the political. I just want you to talk to me and tell me how you're feeling. What's, what? what I don't know if I've ever done that with a black friend. I don't know if I've ever had to sit a black friend down and go, tell me your pain. And then not judge when they tell me something. Oh, you're feeling pain because you have this political view. If you would just get over your political view, you wouldn't have pain. Sit down with somebody. <laughs> On that note, Let's stand together. <laughs>